We, uh, December 25th was first mentioned in the 4th century, so in the 300s AD. And we've decided to stick with that. The precise day is not as important as having a clear understanding of why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We all know the story of the most famous birth in history. The account given in Luke is perhaps the most familiar. Let me read that, and then I have a few things to say about this important celebration in which we are all about to participate. Luke chapter 2, verse 20, beginning at the first verse. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in that same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This familiar story is one that we retell every year, but what really is such a big deal about the birth of Jesus. What's all this about peace? And what makes it good news? Isaiah 7, 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus is also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This important difference between Jesus and all the other people who have ever lived is what gives such importance to Christmas. Jesus is human in every sense, but Jesus is also God in every sense. He is the God-man. Theologians refer to this idea as the theandric union. Theos is Greek for God and andros is the Greek root for human. Jesus is the union of God and humankind. Luke talks about good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. Jesus is the best news in history. There will never be better news than Jesus. He also talks of peace. And Jesus is our peace. He gives us peace with God. And once we have that peace, the turmoil all around us doesn't matter much. Let's start right at the beginning. Mary and Joseph, we're told, lived in Nazareth, but went to Bethlehem to pay the tax because Joseph was in the line of David and Bethlehem was the city of David. So let's look a little bit at the history of Bethlehem. Genesis 35, chapter 35 and verse 9 through 12 says this, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. I hope he didn't just have business cards printed. <laughs> and God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. Genesis 35 and beginning in 16 says this, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. Remember that word, Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. This means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, Benjamin, son of my right hand. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 4 we find this, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered to him, The Lord bless thee. You may remember that Boaz took Ruth under his wing he was her kinsman redeemer. 
This is a redeemer who is related by blood in some way. Now, interestingly, Ruth was not a Jew. She was a Moabite. You are not Jews. We have a kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ is our brother, the firstborn of many brethren. And he redeems us. And he comes from Bethlehem. Do you see the picture that God paints even as early as as the Old Testament, early in the Old Testament, that there's an importance to Bethlehem. Something great will come from there. Something's happening in Bethlehem. In 1 Samuel 17 and 15, it says this, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. This is where David grew up. Jesse, the father of David, lived in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Do you see that Ephrath and Bethlehem are the same thing? Thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Jesus is from of old. From everlasting. In John 1, in the first two verses, it says this In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus was foretold by the prophets throughout the Old Testament. A couple of examples that we often repeat are found in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You notice it said that the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end to the increase. How is that possible? Only in the infinite. Increase that never ends. Increase in peace with God that never ends. He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says this, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people. Do you see it? Jesus is the new covenant. It's his blood for a light. You're going to love this part for a light of the Gentiles. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Do you see it? We were bound by the God of this world. We were bound in this world system. We were bound by sin. 
We were, we were bound by our Adamic nature. And he came to set us free. And not just the Jews, even as far back as Isaiah, he's talking already about the Gentiles. Good news that's to all people. And that's why we read in Luke 2.10 where we were earlier, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, good news, gospel, of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's not just for Israel, but also for us heathen Gentiles. Romans 9, 25 and 26 says this, As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. That's us. Hosea, where it was quoted from in 2.23 says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Luke 2.14, back in our story, says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Isaiah 9, 6, and we read this earlier, says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we read this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against which there is no law. The Spirit brings peace. The Spirit causes peace. Produces peace like an apple tree produces apples. Acts 10.36 says this, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.11-19 says this, Remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You're not Jews, you're not Hebrews, you're not Israelites. And strangers from the covenants of promise. None of that old covenant even applied to you. Do you see it? Having no hope and without God in the world. That's where we were. But now, verse 13 of Ephesians 2, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh, made near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who has made both one 
and has broken down the middle wall of partition, or some say the wall of hostility that existed between us. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even what's the enmity between us and God? Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain to one new man, so making peace. In other words, there was an agreement between him and the Hebrews, between him and the Israelites that said, obey these 613 laws, and if you do that, you will be accepted and righteous. But no one could do that. And we didn't have any agreement with him at all. But now he's made one people and one agreement. So this new covenant that we talk about so much applies to the Jews as well as the Gentiles, and it applies to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. We've spent some time talking about that as we've studied through Romans. That God could, was able to invite the Gentiles in. That case had to be made to the Jews because they were God's special chosen people. And we were just those dirty dogs, those heathens on the outside. And you see it in Ephesians. We were lost without hope, without God. He abolished in his flesh that enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Why is that the enmity for us, us Gentiles? Because we weren't part of that law. We didn't even have that way to get to God. We had no way. To make for himself of the two one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were far off. That's all of us heathen Gentiles. And to those who were near. That's the Jews. For in, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, talking now to the Gentiles, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Do you see it? When we place our trust in Christ as our righteousness, we become members of the household of God. Jesus gives us peace with God. He is the way God reconciled us to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Invite other people to this wonderful relationship to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses against him against them can you imagine what that means your trespasses are not imputed against you when you are in Christ when you trust Christ 
It's Christ's righteousness that you receive. And that's perfect. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. It's not about what you do or don't do. And trust me, you're not going to want to do or don't do the things you shouldn't when Christ is in you and you are in Christ. You are no more strangers and foreigners. Alright, so Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you ever think of yourself as an ambassador? We've been hearing a lot about ambassadors on TV lately, haven't we? You are ambassadors for... <laughs> You are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus, who was perfect, was made to be sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Can you imagine? You have become when you believe that instant, that millisecond, you become the righteousness of God at the core of your being, who you actually are. Oh, you may not always act that way, but you can't go off and live in sin anymore because it just doesn't fit you and it won't feel right. You will know. And you will be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Isaiah tells us about the good tidings, the good news of Jesus. Listen to all that Jesus does. Isaiah 61, 1-3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's that unction, right? The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's now. And the day of vengeance of our God. Now that sounds scary, don't it? This vengeance is against the enemy. Who he defeated at the cross. It's not against you as a believer. And to comfort all that mourn. To proclaim. To appoint unto those that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That's how righteous you are. You're established in righteousness. Now I said that His vengeance is taken out against sin and the enemy. In Colossians 2 and 15 we find this, And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. At the cross, Jesus bought us back. He redeemed us from the enemy. He paid the wages of sin, death. He forgave us all our sins. And He rose again to give us eternal life. Humankind sinned, so humankind had to pay for sin. 
Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. Unfortunately, our blood is imperfect. We are not spotless lambs. Jesus is human, so his blood counts as payment for human sin. Jesus is God, so his blood is perfect enough to pay for all the sins we ever committed, all the sins ever committed by all of humanity across all of history. Because his blood is perfect. Revelation 13, 8 and 9 says this, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This has been God's plan since the beginning. Jesus, fully God and fully human, was born exactly as promised. He is God with us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. If you've never met this incredible man, this incredible God, I invite you to meet Him today. The only thing you need to do is agree with God that you can't make yourself righteous no matter how hard you try and trust Jesus to provide that righteousness for you. That's it. Decide to believe that Jesus is both God and man, that His blood is sufficient payment for the wages of sin, that His sacrifice gives you complete and un unconditional forgiveness, and that His resurrection gives you immortality, eternal life. Celebrate Christmas by doing that Today, right this second. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to say anything. You just got to believe in your heart. For those of you who already believe all this, celebrate Christmas by remembering all that Jesus has done for you and to you and all that He is still doing through you. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone.